0: Hi everyone welcome to bell curve podcast where we are all about optimizing life and work by improving our mindsets honing our habits really growing as human beings and where we really love to invite high-performing guests onto the show to share their stories and insights we have two of those guests today who i'll introduce in a moment but First as always we want to thank our amazing patrons who have joined us on our podcasting journey and who invest in the show. We really never get tired of telling all of you how much you mean to us, how grateful we are for you. So thank you and if you want to join our rockstar patron community helping make this podcast possible, please go to patreon.com/bellcurvepod So we talk a lot on Bell Curve about developing inner qualities like resilience, authenticity, having growth mindsets, and it's pretty striking when you think about it. Pretty much everyone in the world has had their inner qualities tested at the same time this year. In 2020, the year of COVID-19, certainly we've all experienced different challenges, but I can't imagine there's anyone listening who hasn't been stretched in some way this year. And it's August 2020. Maybe it's hard to believe we're in the eighth month of this very strange year. We're all kind of used to wearing masks and, you know, skipping handshakes and, dare I say it, the new normal. But things are still tough. There's really a lot of uncertainty.
1: There really is a lot of uncertainty. And it's hard for me to believe that we are this far along and still dealing, but we are. And we have to be ready for what's to come. I think resiliency is absolutely the name of the game, and I'm super excited that we're talking about it today.
0: Absolutely. We, we do. We still need resilience for the road ahead, and I'm excited to have as our guest today two amazing people who I believe are really uniquely qualified to talk about navigating change, developing mental, emotional skills to flourish during hard times. They have backgrounds in psychology and counseling Both are veterans, college athletes, and really that's right up our alley here at Bell Curve. So, I want to say welcome to Dr. Joe Ross and Steve Spaulding of Higher Echelon Incorporated.
2: How are you doing? Great to be here. Thanks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mary Scott, will you introduce Dr. Joe Ross? Love to. Dr. Joe Ross is the president and founder of
1: Higher Echelon Incorporated, an organizational performance consulting firm serving major government and commercial clients. Joe is an expert in organizational psychology. He helps leaders and organizations understand and develop the mental and emotional skills that lead to high performance. Joe has a PhD in organizational psychology and has consulted with Fortune 100 companies, colleges, and professional sports teams, top-tier universities, the Department of Veterans Affairs, and the Department of Defense, among many others. One of the most fascinating things Joe has done is he developed and consults on a free software app called Go Army Edge that helps football athletes learn their team's playbooks, make proper reads, play calls, and mentally practice their assignments in a virtual environment before the real game. Pretty darn cool. Joe is, um, no surprise here, a West Point grad where he was co captain of the Army football team and and a back, right? Yep, running back. Running back. And later served as the coaching staff for the Army, on the coaching staff of the Army. He served our country as an infantry officer, leading soldiers from the 101st Airborne Division, and he deployed to Kosovo in 2001. Uh, And Joe has created a methodology for becoming a resilient and adaptable leader that he thinks is more relevant now than ever. We do too, because the current climate is what it is. We will provide a link to Joe in our show notes
0: uh, on LinkedIn. Yeah, and Steve Spaulding is also with us, and before I talk about his bio, I have to say, Steve is in town, and he came with me to CrossFit yesterday. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) And you know that just feeling of joy when you share something that you love with a new friend, but I have to say, I was kind of like, okay, this is going to be really hard, Steve. Did you bring your water, and you know, you have snacks, and I was dying. I I ran in after the workout, and I fell on the floor dramatically, just... And he, he kinda like jogs in, he's he's fine. I'm like, Are you okay, Steve? He's like, Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm good. I'm like, you West Point grad, you
2: (laughs) athlete, get out of (laughs) here. Good times, good workout.
0: But Steve is the Director of Business Development at Higher Echelon. He has 25 years of human behavior, leadership, coaching, development experience. He graduated in the top 20% of his class at West Point with a degree in systems engineering and human factors engineering, where he also played varsity football. He holds a master's degree in clinical mental health from Antioch University, New England. Steve is also a veteran as an Airborne Ranger qualified armor officer. He deployed with the 1st Cavalry Division to Iraq in an escalating security effort. And after leaving the military, he spent time as a procurement officer in telecommunications before serving the next 12 years mentoring, coaching, training college students in faith-based nonprofit organizations in Texas and at Dartmouth College. He worked as the assistant athletic director for leadership at Dartmouth and built out what became the program Dartmouth Peak Performance. Steve's leadership coaching made significant direct contributions to seven Ivy League titles and a summer program known as DRIVE that was recognized as the leading experiential leadership program at the college and continues to this day at Dartmouth. Steve has also built a profitable executive search firm, and I'm getting to know what an incredible guy he is with a heart for people. So Steve and Joe, thinking about your backgrounds in sports and service to our country and business, tell us your personal whys. For focusing on the social, emotional skills, mindsets, why is that important to you? And when have you seen those skill sets be tested?
3: So this is Joe here. Uh, so my personal why, and you know, I talk about this a lot, is uh, to be a trusted partner in organizational excellence and really connecting people, processes, and technology. But it's to constantly and deliberately to learn, grow, and adapt. To lead, right? So that's that's the why. And then how do you go into those organizations to do it? And, you know, I really, and I developed my why really over the last 25 years. So I I think I'm very fortunate, you know, to be the president of Higher echelon because, you know, I get to apply my experiences from West Point as a football player, my engineering degree. I get to apply experiences as an infantry officer, as a sports psychologist when I taught at West Point, as a football coach, and all those different experiences come together for for this job. And uh, because it takes all those kinds of experiences to really be a trusted partner to other people to navigate a chaotic, complex world that we live in.
0: Well, I want to dig into that a little bit. Is, are there any stories that come to mind that, you know, maybe someone thinks, okay, well, I wasn't a veteran, but I want whatever those hard experiences gave someone like you. How do you, how do you translate that to, to people who want to build resiliency, want to be adaptable, want to ad- adapt to our hard situation right now? What are some of those skills and how do we get there?
3: yeah i don't think it's the experiences that drive resilience i think it's the mental attributes that you apply to the situation right so resiliency is about attacking the situation not getting not getting punched in the face but punching the situation and um you do that with your your mental approach so are you hunting the good stuff every single day there's something good every single day are you you actually going to hunt it or are you just going to tolerate are you just going to accept what's coming to you are you deliberately breathing with a rhythmic pattern? And I, and I think breathing is one of the most powerful things that you can do uh, to help become resilient.
0: I'm breathing. Right I know now. we're all sitting up straighter. You're going, <laughs> <Yeah>. mm. <laughs> <laughs> breathe, breathe. Maybe that was well, my problem last night at CrossFit. I wasn't breathing. <laughs> Go ahead, <laughs> okay. keep going. And, and that's the power,
3: right? Breathing is a powerful tool that we, we own, right? You have mm. to do it. But there's Never has where...
0: that been more important
1: than now. <laughs> breathe yeah. deeply.
3: Yes. And, and when you not just deep, breathe deeply, it's a rhythmic. Mm -hmm. Breathing, You know, four seconds in, four seconds out, or two seconds in, Mm -hmm. two seconds out. And what it does is it puts the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system in harmony. And when they're in harmony, you are at a place in your mind and emotions to perform at the best you. Right? And just that simple technique. Right? And then the next couple things you can do, routines. There's lots of things you can do just to help set yourself up to deal with, you know, an adverse situation and that's all mental that's all emotional has nothing to do with the experience
0: we talk a lot about how sometimes you can't help you you just you're gonna go to a a seven or an eight emotionally but it's within our control not to take yourself to the 10 or lash out or or show that you're upset or you know challenged at that moment How, how what are your tips for for people to to kind of modulate that emotional range that that is gonna happen we're humans
3: yeah and i think it's okay I think it's okay to go to a 10. Uh, sometimes you just need it, right? And you have to accept the situation, and you have to see what's controllable and what's not controllable. You know, if it's a, an important situation to you and you can control it, and you want to go to a 10, then, then do it, because you can control it and bring it back.
1: So right? when I burst into tears because Huntsville City Schools is going virtual this
3: fall, <laughs> you know, was that okay? <laughs> well, now, that's a situation you can't control, right? So what's uncontrollable, right? And But it's still important to you, right? So now you have to accept and come with your own approach to, to deal with it, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, you might have an increase, but then you have to recognize, okay, I have no control over their decision-making process. And, but I do have control how I accept it and how I deal with it and how I go about my daily. And then now you're going to turn into what kind of routines are you going to make for that day that's going to adjust. Plan for, for it, adjust yeah, for it,
1: get your tactics together.
3: And that leads to the other thing. So without ever having the experiences, I can learn. Right, so I can do reading. I can look at other adverse situations and say, okay, how would I react to those other situations? And and what I mean by that is, you don't have to personally experience adversity to learn how you'd want to handle it. So you're putting yourself in situations, and then you mentally think through it. Okay, I would do this, this, and this. And what it does is it empowers your body, where you're, you're now creating dendrites in your nervous system that, okay, yeah, when it happens to you. You felt like you've already been there. You have a plan to react and you can attack it. Now, not every situation is going to be like that. But the more you go through scenarios, the more you're going to be ready to have the arsenal to to go after it.
0: Well, and, you know, I think about the programs that you both created. So you created one called Resilient and Adaptable Leader. And then Steve, you worked on peak performance training at Dartmouth. So working with elite athletes and then, and then draw upon maybe your experience as a veteran, what are some of those ways that you infuse some of the things that Joe's talking about into those, those student athletes?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, just, just thinking about your original question and applying it to, you know, a little bit of what Joe uh, was just talking about is, you know, in terms of a, you know, a personal why, why, why focus on emotional skills and, and mindset and those sorts of things. And I think it centrally comes down to capacity. It's, the, it's growing your capacity for adversity, for challenging situations in life. And you can be intentional about that. You can be intentional about growing those skill sets and creating a, a mindset that finds a way forward, right? That finds a way to control the controllables that can look at life and say, all right, I, I don't have the answers to a lot of things. There are a lot of things out of my control, but what are the things that I can control right now? As I, as I think about the application of that, uh, in a lot of ways in our peak performance program, you know, we would take teams and if, if you're familiar at all with kind of the learning zones, right, there's like learning and then there's, you know, kind of stretching or growing. Um, and then there's kind of like beyond capacity, right? So if you think about kind of the, the concentric circles of of learning is you want to be pushed just outside of that comfort zone. You want to be able to be stretched just a little bit. And whether you're taking mental reps or it's an actual situation, take repetitions at preparing yourself for adverse situations and learning what messages you tell yourself, learning how do how do I typically react? And, and through that self-awareness, then being able to uh, apply what you learned through that self-knowledge. And, and not just self-knowledge, but also how did you interact with others, right? And so that's the leadership component. How, how do I respond internally and how do I respond in connection with these teammates of mine as we face difficult situations together? So what we would do is you know, we would go out to the you know, northern woods of New Hampshire there in the winter and get on snowshoes and take shovels or you know, whatever it was and go do an activity that stretched us a little bit and uh, stretched our communication capacities and abilities and then we'd reflect on that experience and you know reflection is a key skill to growing through things you can you can just kind of go through the day or you can learn from the day right did we did you just get through practice or did you get something from it right and I think that's that's an opportunity that's available to all of us really day to day Um, did you just get through today or did you get something from it
1: Steve I want to Talk to you about a little bit more about that idea when I was in the air force we were we were transitioning from seven habits coveys seven habits of highly effective people we were that was kind of the, the personal development uh, schema that was being used and then we had started to transition to the resiliency training and Nothing wrong with seven habits. I like Covey. But I always felt like the resiliency training was more applicable. And one of the things that I've thought about a lot is resiliency training is often thought of as this, like, climb a mountain or, you know, I don't know, these, like, hike the Appalachian Trail or do these huge, enormous things and do them by yourself. You know, and that's kind of the idea that we get. I, I don't think it works like that. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on it. You know, first and foremost, you know, we have to understand what is resiliency. And if you just look at the word itself, if you look at the concept, really, it's 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 not like you said the hyper tough ultra marathon type stuff. It it's the ability to bounce back from Resil- whatever. Yeah. From whatever. Mm, yeah. yeah. Resiliency is... From a, yesterday. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. From
0: the dessert I had last night. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it may be not take two weeks to get there.
2: That's it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, how, how well can you recover, you know, after you throw your glasses on the ground after a hard workout <laughs> and you get up breathing heavy and... Um, but no, it really is resilience... Resilience is 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 simply about that. And we have a little magnet on our fridge that says sometimes courage is just the ability to get up and say, I'll I'll try again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And if if you think about kind of how how can I be resilient? You know, how can I build resilience? You really have to consider a couple of things. One is where is my source of strength? All right, is my source of strength myself? Is it outside of myself? And one of the things that, that I learned in, in being in context, both as a veteran, military-wise, in sports and athletics, was I was always in the context of a team. I was always in the context of others around yeah, me. Yeah. And when I, when I went to Dartmouth and when I did a lot of survival training on my own, I found myself out there in the Canadian wilderness, isolated, alone, for long periods of time. And, and when you're alone, the game changes, it really changes what happens inside your mind when you realize you, you're it. And, and for the first time being in a space where it was like, okay, I don't have people around me and you recognize, I recognize in that moment how important community is, how important it is to just know that you've got somebody beside you that's got your back. And, and I think that that one of the things that's easy to forget in times of difficulty Is that you feel isolated? You feel all alone. But the truth is that you're not alone. That you have people around you, and it's that ability to recognize your own resources, but then also to connect to community resources that help you to be more resilient. Mm -hmm. That help you to be able to bounce back. You
1: know, it seems like in the movies and pop culture, there's all this notion of it's a it's a lonely, you know, it's. You know, it's a it's being on a deserted island and you're surviving on a deserted. It's really just not. It's just
2: not true. Yeah, that's not life.
1: It's and it's and if you and resilience is part and parcel, leaning on all the all the reaching out to all your support systems that you can access. And
2: that's right. And it actually that actually is strength. You know, a lot of times it's seen as you know maybe that's weak because I can't handle it on my own. No, 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 no. Quite the opposite. It takes strength to actually connect with others. It takes strength to actually kind of say, all right, you know, I've 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 managed the situation the best that I can, but what can I do now to strengthen with other to to connect with others, to strengthen myself, to strengthen them, to see us as a strong team, as a strong organization that's going to attack this together. Mm -hmm. So there's attacking the day individually, and you have to do your own inventory. You have to do that work day-to-day. You have to cultivate your mindset. But then you have to translate that. You have to take that next step to thinking about, okay, what resources do I have around me? How can I build the team today? Mm-hmm. Or do I need others around me to help me maybe today? Because we're not always on our A game.
0: Well, and I want to talk to Joe here about how we bring that into organizations because I feel like resiliency is sort of a it's becoming a catchword. It's getting to be used quite often, especially in 2020. But you were talking about this long before it was trendy. You have developed a program, you've been focusing on on these skills, and I feel like maybe a decade ago, maybe longer, it used to be easy for organizations to relegate these skills, sort of the soft skill, nice to have but not necessary category. I really liked how Mark Nevins put it in a recent Forbes article. He said, quote, the soft stuff, it turns out, is actually the hard stuff, unquote. And I read that to mean hard as in The soft stuff can lead to real hard results, data, but also hard as in not that easy to personally cultivate, but not that easy to integrate in an organization that is diverse and different personalities. So I want to ask you, what do you mean when you talk about building resilient organizations? And and what does that look like when you have to depend on teammates, but everyone's different?
3: That's a great question. And, uh, you know, the, the immediate response is, it is hard work. tough business. You know, just to piggyback on what Steve was saying is, you know, I I look at the four competencies, you know, self-awareness, self-evaluation, self-motivation, and self-regulation. And you're you're constantly going through those competencies every single day. And it's a cycle. It never ends, right? And that's where you get learn, grow, adapt, lead. So how do you get into an organization? Well, I guess that's where my experiences come in to formulate that. And I was very blessed when I went to West Point in 1991. There was a sports psychology program that was just starting at that time. And uh, West Point led it by Dr. Uh, Louis Choka. And he was a colonel in the Army. And he was probably 20 years ahead of everyone. right? And we got to participate in it as as athletes. And only the athletes got to participate in it. And uh, that's where I learned about the uh, mental skills to help you perform at a high level. When you apply them consistently and deliberately. Now, now understand this: it's not performing 24 hours a day at a high level. It's going into what you determine as a measure of success. So, if it's football practice or football game, it's that two-hour period. Or if it's going into a test, or if it's going into whatever you're doing, but you're in and out, in and out, in and out. Now, I say I learned it there, formulas, but really, and this is where I think it's amazing when I start talking to organizations. When we start talking to them. Everyone has experienced this, and and everyone has gone through an experience in their life where they were doing the right things. They just didn't recognize they were doing the right things. So now, back back go farther. I learned those skills really from my mom Hmm. and my dad and my coaches. And when I started hearing Doctor Choka talking, I was like, "Oh, I know. I already do this. I just didn't realize I was doing it." Then you start deliberately and consistently doing it. So fast forward, I'm in the army. And I'm about to take command of uh, Bravo 2nd, 502nd, 101st. And my brigade commander, who is Bob Caslin, who is now a retired three-star general, he's the president of the University of South Carolina, he calls me in his office. He says, Joe, you're taking over the best war fighting company in the brigade, probably the division. Hmm. And he paused. It's a long pause. And he says, "Um, if you deploy tomorrow and your company leadership dies, Your company will come to a halt. Hmm. Fix it. Now, he just got done telling me I have the best company in the brigade. That means tactically, technically, and physically. Hmm. But they all all depend on one person. Well, they've been led by fear.
1: Ah, so they gotcha. I see.
3: Right? So, because they've been led by fear, well, how do you fix that? Well, that's all mental and emotional. So I walk out of the office. Now, this time, I'm a captain in the Army. I have no sports psych degree. You know, I graduated from West Point. You know, I played football. But as I walk out, I'm I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is what I learned as a football player. This is mental and emotional. So how am I going to apply it to the whole organization? Because you can't just teach it, like, you know, one-on-one. So I call back to West Point, and I say, give me a laundry list of every possible thing I could do deliberately and consistently as a leader with my organization. Just give me a laundry list. And, you know, after two hours on the phone, I had uh, three pages of things I could do. And the next six months, I deliberately and consistently applied all those different things every single day, right? Just in and out, doing, you know, just the way I could get them to think, putting signs on the wall like believe, pride, poise, team, buckle your chin straps. Anything I could think of, I would plaster on the wall, the way I would talk to them, the way I would interact with them. It was all intentional. Now, they didn't know a clue, clue what I was doing. So this is why I say it's hard, right? Because now they think Captain Ross is crazy. Captain <laughs> Ross is supposed to be a football coach. Who, who is this guy? Like yeah. he's, he's talking to us in different ways, and he's having us do different things. I'd literally have them sit down on the gravel and close their eyes and breathe in and out, because that was one of the things. I'd have them visualize what they were about to do. And I'm telling you, those, those six months were miserable for me. It was the hardest leadership challenge I ever went through in my life. And I wanted to quit. I was like, man, this stinks. I'm like, how am I going to get through these guys? And uh, finally, just one day, the light bulb went off. And I think it was because we were doing a training exercise, uh, and we were getting ready to deploy. And um, we were terrible. So it's called enter building, clear room. So one of the hardest things you have to do in the Army is enter building, bad guys are in the building, you got to clear it. And uh, during training, it was bad. So I say, hey, guys, sit down in the gravel, I had them close their eyes, and all I did was read them their standard operating procedures. And I said, just visualize yourself doing it. Mm-hmm. Now go back and do it again. And what they saw is their performance went from a 3 to a 10 like that. Well, that's the power of visualization when you control it. And what happened was they just they never questioned anything I told them after that. They just bought it, but they started doing it. They started mimicking me. So now they're deliberate in their attention. They're deliberate in how they breathe. They're deliberate in how they visualize. They're deliberate in how they set their routines. They're deliberate in how they plan. Right? And then we deploy. And part of so when we deploy, you know, our unit, you know, we were, you know, that first month, you know, everyone was kind of calm, calm but, you know, uh, we had a routine. We called it the Dirty Dozen. Four days, you were going to do the interdict mission. Interdict means you're going to go fight the enemy. Four days, you're going to do a security mission. You're going to be with the town people, talking to the mayors, talking to the, the town people, and, you know, got, trying to get intel. And then four days where you got to take care of your equipment. And then I told them, okay, out of those 12 days, you get one day off. But squad leaves, you control how you, your people get your one day off. So we're, we're following our plan. And within two minutes, I'm starting to get my butt chewed by our higher our higher headquarters. Like, hey, you guys aren't doing enough. You guys aren't finding enough. Well, everyone else out was this beating the bushes, and they're, they're going 100 miles per hour. And I go into my uh, platoon leaders and my platoon star, and this is where I definitely knew they got it. So I go in and say, hey, guys, we're going to have to change our dirty dozen plan. You know, we're getting beat up about this. They want us to be out there more, and they all, to a man, looked at me. He's like, Captain Ross, you told us if we're deliberate and consistent with what we're doing, it'll all work out. Why are we going to go against this now? Like, mm. they're now
0: attacking me, right? <laughs> they bought in. Oh, yeah.
3: And I'm like, all right, you're right. We're stay with it. And I, and I get my butt to you, but what happened was all those other units hit a cliff, and they mm. fell off because they didn't, they didn't evaluate. They weren't aware. They weren't aware of their emotions. They weren't aware of their energy. They weren't aware of their effort. They weren't aware of any of that stuff. And they, hit, they basically hit a wall. And our company just excelled. So after seven months, you know, a brigade effort. So you're talking about eight companies. We're one of those eighth. The whole brigade caught 800 insurgents.
0: Mm. My one
3: company caught 500 Wow! Like two guys in the top top ten, CI one. So that that moment of going through those exercises was a huge one. So I still didn't get it. So now I change command. So we go back. We change command, and I have 200 soldiers in front of me. You know, I'm leaving. I was like, "Hey, bye, bye, bye." And I have thirty two NCOs, so non commissioned officers, that come up to me and say, "Hey, Captain Ross, can we get a get a moment of your time?" And I'm say, uh, "I say, yeah." And now these guys. You know, they're, they're veterans, 12 to 15 years in the Army. 32 of them, and they go, hey, Captain Ross, you taught us something that we've never learned anywhere else in the Army because mm. whatever you do, make sure somehow it gets implemented, mm. right? And it's all the emotional, mental emotional stuff that we're talking about. And it was. It was just deliberately and consistently doing it every single day, which is hard business because it's up here between your, your eyeballs. It's not – you can't touch it, but there's things you can do about it. And um, so, ironically, my next assignment was to go back and get my sports psychology degree. I was going to go teach at West Point. Again, I didn't think anything of it. So I go back to get my degree. I go back to West Point. My first day on the job, I get a memorandum handed to me. It says, we need to operationalize the warrior ethos. This is 2004.
1: (laughs) No, no small. (laughs) Well, I read it. it, I said,
3: I know how to do it. And the mm -hmm. guy that handed me the paper says, what do you mean you know how to do it? I said, I just did this as a company commander. So that's when I wrote a 100-page white paper. I gave it to the Pentagon. The Pentagon was like, you're the first person to actually give us a plan. And then the rest was born. So my basically my career work has been from experiences that I learned from my mom and dad to football to that challenge of applying it to organizations. And that long story, the reason I share it is because when, they, when the team gets it, and they apply it consistently, that's when the magic happens, hmm. right? It just magically happens because everyone is doing the right things on all cylinders. And that's why I say it, it's people, processes, technology, and it's bringing it together. You can work in all those things in silos. Like, I can teach you to be a high performer, but are you bringing processes into it? Are you bringing technology into it? And, and the reason I say technology is we're in a world today that you're all surrounded by technology. I don't care what your job is, hmm. right? You're surrounded by You have to be efficient and have processes, Right, and it's your own deliberate effort of how you bring everything together. And uh, when those things happen, magic, magic, magic happens. And It's an awesome sight. Is it hard work? It's extremely hard work. And leaders usually don't want to go through that pain of that hard work, hmm. so that's usually they stop. So, Joe and Steve,
1: all these techniques: visualization and, and visual cues, and breathing, uh, teaming, strategic planning, tactical planning. I mean, these sound like military terms. Uh, I'm familiar with those. How does that translate to a mom at home with three kids in the trenches? How does that translate to maybe a, a professional uh, woman who is taking some time off to raise kids, but is looped into the PTA and the and the church groups and the philanthropic groups and is basically becoming a full time, you know, volunteer and and you know, I mean that these are our listeners are called curvies. Our curvies. Our Kirby's need to understand how this translates to their world.
2: Yeah, I so you know, just um, having spent really twenty years in in nonprofit agencies and raising support and and being in situations where our family was was really trying to to serve others for a large portion of our experience, you know, it it did create a, a unique set of challenges. And you know, as I as I think about kind of, you know, a difficult situation in the midst of all of that, we were transitioning between one nonprofit organization to another. And there was a period there where it was difficult to know how I was going to be able to provide for our family, how this was going to come together to enable us to take that next step into that next phase and be able to continue essentially the mission that I believe that, you know, we were given. I know mission's a military term, but, you know, what was the next step? And it was in that time period where I was really, really having a hard time. Like every morning, really, just kind of bone crushing difficulty and anxiety. Heavy on you. Yeah, heavy weight. You know, and and, and
1: everybody, military, uh, right. executive per person going to the office, mom of two, three, four, five. I mean, everybody deals with those. Where you're, you're just. You're, it feels heavy.
2: Right. And in that moment, you know, in that Marriages. time, right in the marriage, right in, in that transition time. And, you know, I've experienced a, a few of them, but you know, what became important, and I had a good friend who was an Australian para jumper. He's, he used to jump into waves to help save people and stuff. And we were hanging out at the time. And, and, you know, he said to me, uh, come to the pool, mate, I'll teach you how to swim. And I said uh, all right I guess I'll go learn how to swim and so and so I would get up at 4:30 each morning and go throw up in the pool and uh and he would say uh, look at the ranger throwing up in the pool right every morning for about 6 months and and over the course of time I learned how to swim and then he said hey why don't we do a half iron man and I said okay so so I did this half man and a month later I did another one, which was probably the, the worst choice I'd ever made in my life because I didn't work out again for another <laughs> no eight months. No
1: wonder you out-exercised oh, Rachel. Yeah. He's, right.
2: like, he's
0: like, whatever. Right,
2: right. But, but <laughs> the, 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 the thing that that helped Next me step. do is, in a, in a very, very difficult period, in a very difficult phase of, of, our, of our family's life, was I, I was finding a way forward. Each day I, I would get up in that 4.30 at the pool with my buddy, was about finding a way forward. It was about taking that next step. And, you know, we're talking about mental, emotional skills here. But, you know, we're mind, body, soul, spirit. We're connected beings. And I, and I think the thing that is important to recognize as well in moments like that is, am I getting enough sleep? <laughs> you know, am I, am I eating? Am I exercising? Am I doing the things that I need to do to just kind of, again, create the capacity Right to to have that awareness, to have that self-regulation, because there are times in life that get very, very difficult, and again, that isolating experience that we're talking about, what do I need today to find a way forward? and, and you know it's if you're not leading a, a company into combat, uh, okay, it's, that's not the situation that you're in. You're, you're a single mom with three kids, and you're trying to figure out how to do the laundry and move forward that day. well what what what's finding a way today?
3: Yeah, and I, and I would add. So earlier I said, when we're teaching this stuff to organizations, there's a light bulb moment that they always goes off with everyone because they reflect on their own lives. So the key concept for the resilient adaptive leader is, you know, lead yourself and leading yourself is among the right principles of, like I talked about self-awareness, self-evaluation, self-regulation self self motivation. But then once you do it, you're living those habits. And then that's that enables you to influence others. So now, how's that apply to a mom? Well, I just look at my, the way I was raised by my mom and my dad. So I'm the youngest of six. I have a twin brother. My mom, when I was five, was in Johns Hopkins Hospital because she had a large tumor in her stomach. She almost died, and, uh, but she recovered from it. And uh, when I was six years old, she decided to go back and get her nursing degree you know, because she grew up in the era that uh, her parents said, oh, you don't need a degree, you know, this uh, you can be a secretary. She did MRS. Right. So she did. So my mom got her nursing degree, her, her associates, and she, uh, she'd do that during the day. And then she'd work from 3 to 11. And my dad would work from you know 6 to 3. But she didn't just get her associate's degree. She, then she got her bachelor's. And then she got her master's. And then by the time I graduated college, she got another master's in administration. So mm. lifelong learning was applied. Okay, so that's one example. Then I remember when I was 6 years old laying in bed and she'd say, man, Joe's, Joes are great in the world look at Joe Montana look at Joe Name. so she's telling me how to visualize she's like mm. hey just, just dream big you can do anything and she'd make comments like what the mind believes the body can achieve Well, there's a will there's an A or a way and just things like that right so she was leading by example every single day she would, she would go and exercise an hour a day uh, you'd, I'd, she'd get home from work at 11 o'clock and you would see her studying until 2 o'clock in the morning but she still would have time to help you with your homework now was that hard? Yeah, it was dang dang hard, right? Because she's doing all those things, but she's leading the right way. She's being consistent with what she's doing, and you just watch it and you observe it. And as a young boy and a young man, I was like, I I just I remember my mom. Okay, like, hey, if she said I can do it, then I can do it, right? She says to relax and take a deep breath. Then all right, I'm relax and take a deep breath. So so that was my point. Where as I got older and I started learning the science behind it, I was like, mm-hmm. this is ingrained in me because my mom has led this way. whole life and as a kid i started doing it you know myself and it just becomes easy now you might say okay what about the the parents i've known that well that's where the control comes in you have the control to say what you want to your kid and if you want to have them dream big then dream big if you want to be deliberate with your actions you can be deliberate with your actions and um is it easy no it's not easy at all but it can be done so wherever you are whatever you're doing
1: whatever your situation is you can apply these principles
3: yeah. And, and I still remember my mom. She'd always take an hour nap before she went to work. That's that's energy. Right. She was deliberate with, hey, I'm going to take an hour nap. So I have energy to, to go to work. Right. Very deliberate with her actions. Now, she had no clue. She was following these principles of high performance and organizational that we're talking about. But she was. She lived it. And I learned all those things from my mother. Right.
0: Without knowing what it was. Well, I think what's so inspiring to me about the idea of leading yourself first is truly what you said, the impact you can have on other people. And there, I mean, in social science research, we know about emotional contagion. We know that we really can translate what's going on with us interiorly to other people. So when I think about what your mother was able to translate and infuse into you, and then I've seen you on the field, you translate and infuse that into young people, you translate and infuse that into the people that you serve in your company. That's that's what I want to do ultimately. That's probably the way to get out of the silos is to lead yourself, influence the people around you and then before you know it you're all you're all achieving something a little bit higher. But I wanna I wanna close out here. We try to be very authentic on our show and I think it helps when successful people are willing to really share how they overcome challenges. So thinking about this grand year twenty twenty, is there anything that has been a particular challenge for you and what personal takeaway or inspiration or encouragement can you leave us with and our Kirby's with?
2: Well, I you know, I'm I think about our our business. Uh, I think about Kind of, you know, what kind of a year in business was this for us? And, you know, one of the, <laughs> I was talking to one of our, our clients, who's also a, a friend of mine, and, and, you know, talking about kind of their adaptation as a company to to COVID nineteen and. You know, he said, Spaldo. it's just it's just like any other uh, situation uh, where uh, a team is facing difficulty. You have the third that are adapting and finding a way to win. You have a third who are just sort of standing by and waiting for somebody else to come up with a solution. And you have a third who, you know, are out on their front lawns drinking bourbon because they think (laughs) the the world's about to end. For the
1: record, I might have done that for a day or two. <laughs> uh,
2: maybe, maybe. Right? All of us, That's maybe. Okay. Yeah. We have moments, we have moments, right? We yeah. were
0: all quarantined with the snacks, the getting larger. to move into the better groups, yeah. But then
2: resilience is bouncing back, right? Yes. So we bounce back. And, you know, just, just kind of from my seat, you know, looking at business development, right? And and uh, this this, you know, really very strong, I think, offering that we have to organizations to help them, be more resilient. And kind of the attitude that, that I took was, what better time than now uh, to communicate this message? What better time than now to bring this these skills forward into organizations and help them to learn, lead, adapt, and grow so that they're positioned for strength both in this and as they, as they come out of it. And, you know, as a result, we were able to you know, closed down on a couple of the largest commercial contracts in our, our company's history, and some other things that were really great achievements during that time. And I, I don't point to those results so much as just the internal decision, right, and the collective decision to say, "Okay, COVID's in COVID nineteen's in the door." And I, I still remember some of our you know initial staff meetings around this, and the you know the owners, and you know Rick and and others who the business leaders who got together and just said. All right, you know, here's a challenge. How are we going to face it? How are we going to move forward? How are we going to lear, learn, lead, adapt, and grow as a company to not only just survive, but 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 thrive and through this time? You used it
1: as an opportunity,
2: a- absolutely, yeah. And and we're able to grow individually and collectively as a company uh, as a result. And I, you know, I think that today we're you know we're on as strong as ground as we've ever been. We're positioned for for more strength and growth. And so I I do I think it comes with that here's the situation, okay, have I grown my capacity? Have we grown our individual and collective capacity to face this next challenge, right? And so the reason why you work on these skills is to grow your capacity so that when the next challenge, it's not if, it's not mm-hmm. if, it's when that next challenge comes mm. along, right? We've got, we've got the skills in place and the capacity to, to attack it and together and to take that next step.
3: I have two answers. I, I actually learned something today This from this conversation.
2: And um, it
3: was a conversation about when people are together, you know, they can respond versus when you're by yourself, it's more challenging. So from my observation within our company, the employees that have families, I think, have excelled. And I think our company has excelled. And what I mean by that is we are more productive and efficient as a company than we were when people came to the building.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And a part of that reason, I think, is, They're with their families. They have better work-life balance. They're not wasting an hour going to work. You know, They're not wasting an hour getting ready. So they actually have more time with their families, and they have more time to focus on their job, and they're more deliberate with their actions on the job. And they don't want to waste time because if they're very efficient, then they can spend more time with their family because it's right there in their heart. My concern, which now I need to go back and reach out, is my employees that are by themselves, that are, you know, they don't have families or they're living at home. So, you know, I'm going to leave here today and actually reach out to those people and make sure they're okay. So that's my greatest lesson here. The, the one thing I would say about mind-body connection and the, the four companies that we talked about, the easiest way to apply this, I don't, I don't care if you're a mother, you're a father, you're a worker, a leader, whatever it is, it's, you know, I think love is a powerful word, but it's how you care. Hmm. And the more you care about people, you're going to show appreciation. You're going to show gratitude. You're going to show thankfulness. And when you show those three things, you're actually, those three emotions are the same emotions you have when you're performing at your best.
0: Hmm.
3: Right. It's, it's scientifically proven. So just by being thankful and gratitude and appreciated to others, well, you're putting yourself in that state of mind, but guess what? You're putting others in that state of mind. So you're leveling the play playing field, mentally, emotional, emotionally. So you, you both can have a good moment, right? And the leaders, they don't care what leader you are and how technically and tactically smart you are. If you don't care, you're not going to be a great organization. The leaders that care, they have a superb organization because they're putting everyone in the right state of mind, right? And you can do it at home as a, a mom or a dad with your, your, your kids. It's just how you talk to them. You can do it as a school teacher. You can do it any, any walk of life and it's just, just care about people. And be thankful to people and be gratitude about people and be appreciative of what people do
0: good for you and it's good for the organization. Absolutely. I'm
1: going to go home and say thank you to my husband. Love you, you, John.
0: Yes. Love you, Pepper. Love you, kids. If you want more insights and secrets about human performance psychology and how that works in organizations and in life, if you want to know more about what Joe and Steve and everybody at Higher Echelon does, you can connect with Higher Echelon at their website, higherechelon.com and on LinkedIn and Facebook at Higher Echelon Inc. Also, one of their amazing executive coaches, Dr. Eric Bean, has a podcast too. It's called Coaching Through Stories, and you can find that wherever you download podcasts. Thank you both so much for your insights today. I'm just blessed and touched. Really appreciate you being here.
3: Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you
0: as always, thank you for listening. We value you. We hope you are managing all the challenges in your life and work with adaptability and resilience. And we hope you'll connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at bell curve pod. And consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. It really helps. See you next time.